Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello, Yannick. Thanks so much for joining uh, IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Uh, such a pleasure to have you. I would like to ask you first how you would like to uh, define and introduce yourself. First of all, you can introduce yourself and then how you would like to define yourself. Um, so my name is Yannick. I am a currently a PhD student at ETH Zurich, um, researching more of the kind of fundamental machine learning um, in the space of adversarial examples at the moment. Um, but at, at night, I'm also a YouTuber. I make videos explaining research papers of machine learning. And for some weird reason, uh, even though they are an hour long and they are quite monotonic and boring, uh, people somehow find them interesting. So yeah, this, it's kind of my double life. So I, th I think uh, that's something everyone knows that you, you become popular because of the videos you're doing. I think that's uh, something really interesting and we will dis uh, discuss it later. And many mm -hmm. students ask us a question about uh, your videos, but anyway, we'll go cover that later. But first of all, I would like to ask you as a child, I'll try to look for, for your uh, the portfolio, but I didn't find much detail about you. How was your childhood? Mm -hmm. Do you have any memories you were interested in science or technology as a kid? Do you have any memories about that? I I I think I've I've um, tinkered with stuff a lot as a child. I don't I didn't really have a formal introduction to science, so none of my family was were academics or anything like this. I think I had curiosity in technology, and then. Through somewhat a couple of accidents, I ultimately landed in computer science. So maybe the interesting part coming here now. Why you started these videos? Why does why they came this idea as you're already a beachy student? Why you set about making this video and make it in in a fun way? And that's I think um, that's why people like it. Yeah, it's I, I I originally I just thought that I have to read papers and you know there is this there's this notion that you you really understand something once you have to explain it to someone um but since i i had no one to explain it to at least you know in the in the field that i was reading at the time i think my first videos were on reinforcement learning algorithms um i simply recorded a video and i thought you know maybe someone in the world instead of having to read the paper can watch this video instead and um, have sort of an sort of a good impression of what the paper is about without having to read it. So I just started doing I started doing this, I think, more than three years ago or so with the first videos. There were just a couple like every few weeks I'd make one. And then I gradually started making more and especially then during the um, first wave of COVID, of lockdowns, suddenly 
everyone was much more alone and I had a bit more time. So I just thought, can I make one every day? Can I read a paper and make a video every day? And that turned out, yes, I, I could make that. I can't do it anymore now because, you know, life is back uh, for most parts. But yeah, that was that was that. So it was just, I thought I have to explain it. That makes me read them better. And maybe someone can profit, especially people who might not have a good access to education, like people in countries without top tier universities or in countries where top tier universities cost so much that you can't afford it. Oh, yeah, thanks a lot. And I think that's also a lot of success uh, you made in uh, YouTube videos. But uh, maybe I'm curious to ask you this question. Do you think the way we represent maybe uh, science in general in papers, maybe sometimes it sounds vague and you don't really understand? I think that's uh, maybe the common question when you read a paper you didn't really understand the first time. It takes a lot of time to, to decode the jargon. But when I see your way, you have a lot of simplicity and fun and trying to make it very simple. Do you think that's way of education that we are maybe in academia, we try to be serious and that makes sometimes, yeah, maybe boring stuff that's, but when you have this kind of discussion and you make it similar to many people and you can share, because I think that you see something interesting that how we can share this information with a proud audience who maybe have not access to the journal or maybe access to the school. Do you think this limitation here, how we represent our uh, research or result in, in academia. Yeah, you, you have a very, you have a very good point in that I think especially, so there are multiple, multiple factors. I definitely think not, not everyone, not everything can be made uh, easy for everyone. Like there are, there are simply topics that need a certain level of, um, complexity and end of jargon sometimes that's useful and my, my videos aren't they aren't for beginners right they are not introduction to something you need a certain level of already so my my target audience was always I thought maybe you know some you have a somewhat of a computer science education maybe you went to a local university and so on but then there is a gap between this and current research so it's if you don't do a PhD at a higher level university, this gap, there's really nothing. There's lots of introductions. So I, there is a certain level of complexity, but you're definitely right in that, especially in the current research landscape, everyone sort of tries to appear as, as smart as possible. And they, they try to write papers in a way that makes make them seem very good and very very new and very wow this is the best paper ever and and a lot of people they throw for example complicated math in there just to make it a bit more complex they they generalize a bit more they use language that is more you know, prosaic and as you say more more kind of jargon and um i think i so that this results from a lot of frustration from myself reading a lot of these papers and ultimately you discover what an individual paper what most papers are doing there is like one or two new things in the paper that are really new that are really theirs and the rest is more or less 
a packaging uh, that you sort of have to have to cut through. And I think people people who read a lot of papers, they become naturally good at this. And I, I think that's maybe something I'm, I'm trying to to do for people who who are not there yet with the experience. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to ask you as a, your now a PhD student, um, how's your feeling after starting this uh, videos? Because I think in PhD process, you feel stressful. And I think maybe I can resonate with you. Of course, you are more successful now, but since I started the podcast and you start feeling weird feelings sometimes uh, because you reach many people and you made science, I think, in special artificial intelligence more uh, simpler and accessible so that you can decode this paper. What's your feeling as a BG student? Do you think, uh, honestly, what you feel after the success you made in, in the videos? Um, well, I don't, I don't feel particularly different about my own uh, PhD. And I think I don't, I don't discuss my own PhD too much because I, I almost keep it a, a bit separate. Like that's, I, I, I take part in the research process as a PhD student. Uh, my my own work, I don't think is particularly spectacular or anything. I'm not a great academic. Um, so I, I still, I feel as a PhD student, I feel, you know, I'm doing my PhD thing and then I'm doing this other thing that's almost sort of uh, disconnected on on the side. Um, what What I'm... I guess what a lot of PhD students are feeling is this sort of a sort of frustration with the academic process as a whole. And I think I also have made videos where I try to describe that a bit. And I hope people can maybe identify with that a bit that they, they are not alone. They're not the only one. They're not the only ones who struggle with a PhD. They're not the only ones who think that the, the research process and the research world is is a bit dumb at times, yeah. Yeah, but maybe let me less realistic about it because, because now you gain uh, maybe a popularity in, in the field of artificial intelligence. And I think as you still, I don't know, maybe how, how peers perceive you. I don't know if you have kind because, yeah, sometimes uh, when you have something very successful and yeah, um, how people perceive you, maybe beers or have you ever faced something like people don't like what you're doing or maybe jealous? your success because it's still the younger. um um yeah um i don't i don't think so so the the thing about the thing about uh, maybe maybe what i'm doing is sort of a bit like pop science right and so the the thing about this is that no one let's say no no one that i am not i'm not recognized in the same way that a, a famous academic is recognized so i'm thinking of you know people like let's say Jan lecan Ian Goodfellow, um, you know, people, people that, that you just, you hear a name and you, you recognize them and it's like they are sort of at the forefront of their particular field. Um, maybe I, I myself am more just known and not, and not really, not, people just say, yeah, I like your videos or something, but I have never, I have not had any, um, any, would say big impact the the people i work with they are you know they they regard i i say dumb things all the time so they are well aware uh <laughs> of that and yeah so i have we have a couple of questions from uh, the audience 
the first question how do you do, do you decide which paper to present and how do you go by retweet or how often someone suggests a paper to you or by how interesting abstract is and whose recommendation do you have to the most i think that's many questions in one questions so that's the first one yeah i'm 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 only selecting papers that i find interesting so th this is really a random process sometimes i go through archive lists or, or archive sanity um or sometimes i i browse twitter or what or um some blogs or you know wh wherever i i have i don't really have a system um and sometimes someone in a YouTube comment will say something, and then I usually I usually look at it, um, but it doesn't it doesn't mean it, I really only take on papers that are interesting to me. So I I don't I don't I have never committed to sort of be the be the unbiased arbiter of what's important to the field. It's like <laughs> what I select is just what's interesting to me, and sometimes that's the new thing of Google brain and sometimes that's a paper that two uh, one master student uh, did at some smaller university so yeah there's really no system to it great so someone asking you are you happy and do you have uh, an all-time favorite paper and what do you do after finishing your phd and what is your research about <laughs> um am i ha i'm sure sure i'm i'm happy i yeah. i think uh yeah i'm 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 a bit more i think i'm i'm, I'm very happy yeah. um just considering the time we all are living in and the place i happen to live in and what i'm able to do every day uh having Basically, I can get up what I want, when I want. I can do pretty much what I want. I can, yeah. you know, make these videos and, and reach people and talk about things. And it's it's I'm I consider myself extremely extremely lucky in the situation that I'm in. So that yeah. that's to happiness. And then my PhD, my work is yeah, it focuses on on sort of adversarial examples, adversarial learning adversarial regularization yeah. at the moment mm -hmm. after the phd i have no idea N no no clue um yeah. so any i i know i'm probably not going to be an academic um but other than that it's still open and yeah. i don't know what the last part of the question i can't yeah, remember well, the last yeah i think you answered all of them but uh, what is your okay. all-time favorite paper my all-time favorite paper i i really I really don't know. I, I have some memorable papers. For example, yeah. the residual networks paper. Yeah. Um, I I don't know why, but that sort of I started my PhD in the end of 2015 mm -hmm. and deep learning was just sort of permeating the whole field. It was just at the beginning. And and the goal then really was how do we build deeper networks it seemed that every time someone trained a deeper network mm -hmm. it would perform better and better and better but it became harder and harder to to go deeper um yeah. because the, the the networks wouldn't train it's sort of like the first rnns had this gradient vanishing or gradient exploding problems we had the same problems in deep learning and then 
all of a sudden, like there were, there were these memes about the deeper yeah. models. And then all of a sudden this paper comes out and it's just like, boom, here we build a network with up to a thousand layers and yeah. we can still train it. And it's, it's, it's sort of like, it's this one paper really described the solution to a problem, not just incremental betterment of something, but really mm -hmm. here's the solution. We've solved the problem. Let's go on. And that, I found that just to be very cool. Yeah, I think you are so passionate about what uh, you're doing. And, and when you mentioned, I don't want to be an academician, I think. I think that's a question we have it here and we will discuss it in detail. The question also asking, taking time, the time to parse and present so many in-depth video takes a toll in the progress you are making in your own research. Uh, do you see this as a long-term career option or do you plan to return uh, to research full-time eventually? Um, I am I am doing research full time yeah. uh, right now. So this this channel is the YouTube channel is in my in my free time. Yeah. And so during during this this COVID time, as I said, I had a bit I had a bit more time because life around me slowed down a bit, and also there was you know less commute, less less stress, less yeah. people wanting things from you. So that freed up uh, some of my some of my extra time. Now I had to I had to scale back the number of videos I produce. So I aim for two videos or so a week. Mm -hmm. um, that is still something that I can manage. But I am I am a researcher full time. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why there is misconception. I think yeah, you are not the only one in this situation. People think when you're doing something like like uh, science communication. I think I think it it makes you uh, and that's maybe the question I want to ask you. It enhances your capabilities as a researcher. I, I can assume that it makes you think thoughtfully and profoundly about the problem and even your research. I don't know what is, you agree about that? Um, definitely, definitely. Because yeah. when that question asked, took stolen in progress of your research, I, I, I disagree because I think um, when you do this kind of work, it, it enhances your capabilities. But maybe I'm curious to ask you, Nick, about what really changed in you, uh, maybe in a as the skills you have after making these videos because maybe there's something changing in you mm, if you can tell us what you I've, learn it from this experience and you're doing right now i i think well there there are multiple there are multiple things so so first of all i i definitely think the i have a, a little bit of a better grasp of what people find interesting because mm -hmm. that's just what you see in you know your the statistics uh when you make a video yeah. and it gets a lot of views or it, it doesn't get a lot of views and so on so you get a little bit of a feeling of what makes a topic interesting and so on mm -hmm. with regards to being a, a researcher it's absolutely what what you said i think uh this this makes you better as in your own research almost to a almost to a degree where often often I take a bit of a cynical approach to many papers because mm -hmm. of what I said before, because many papers try to exaggerate a bit what they're doing and, and they have to. The current climate of research is such that you have to make big claims and so on. Yeah. But to to sort of learn to become a bit cynical also makes you a bit more cynical about your own research. And then, you know, you're working and ultimately you're a single person and you can work on, you know, you make your little, your little dent in the knowledge of humanity and yeah. your little contribution. And it's, it's very easy to then say, ah, oh, it's just, 
it's just this one thing um it's so it's so unimportant yeah (laughs) so there is a two sides I don't know what is what is your experience uh, with your own research. Do you? Have yeah, you had... I, I I totally agree with everything you said. I think that's uh, the question. Uh, I'm in soft robotics field, but yeah, yes, yeah, still growing field. But yes, we have when the podcast we discuss about maybe the hype and exaggeration. And yeah. um, I'm sorry, sometimes maybe people to like that, but you say something very accurate that sometimes you have to pretend you made something very big. And you are right many things. I think when because you're doing this video, you look to statistics and you know what people like and people doesn't like. And, and that gives you a sense where you have to go, maybe reflecting in your research. But you still have to keep this honesty. You know, what you, that's something what you're trying to do. You're trying to be honest and, and mention what is really you in this paper. And that's something different when you read a paper and because you understand what is in this paper and try to tell people that's what happened honestly in this paper or maybe that's what's new. I think that's something maybe in academia is not really welcomed because sometimes you have to exaggerate and make a lot of jargon and maybe use mathematics as well as, well as you mentioned that should make it complex. And that's something that sometimes I need to have a deep understanding and that's lead to, maybe it's different from your field because our field is a bit different, but I think it's later question I need to understand and I need to consider really the critical question. And even we have also reproducibility issue in the field. So there's a lot of questions, but sometimes you try to avoid them because you have to be a less risky research area and you make sure you get this published. And you still pretend you're big because you need to get this funding. And you know, it's, it's a complicated mm-hmm. issue, but I think it's the sphere of academia. It's just it's a common mentality that you have to pretend that everything you do is big and maybe you can exaggerate about it so that you can get the fame and funding and student. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, there is not really a clear solution. It's not yes. like we can just say, okay, let's let's everyone, let's just be, you know, let's be more honest, let's be more yeah. modest it doesn't work because someone is going to start exaggerating and then they're going to get all the money and all the funding and exactly right so so it's not clear how to how to solve it but Mm. you know it it uh yeah it it, at least we can we can point it out yeah actually i I like your video about peer review i was in vacation in august and i listened to your video twice time because i was really pissed off about the health process system and I think you, it was a rant you said, but I think you didn't rant, you, you said the reality. So if you can tell <laughs> us, yeah, I, I really like what you say that about the review. And I, I'm i curious to ask you, if you can tell us again, why do you think the review is, 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 is failed your system, you know, or maybe because when you look, even you mentioned about, and that's something we discuss about when you share your research, especially I think in a machine learning community, you have a, a lot of popularity than other field engineering. So I think when you publish a paper, especially from the big companies like Facebook, Google, and etc., it gains a lot of popularity. And sometimes it makes a pressure in reviewing process to be accepted. And it's like, take it for granted that everything come here is very interesting. I don't know what you say. Maybe I'm wrong because I'm not really involved so much as you. But what's your thought about the review process and how the research is um, maybe it's got, it's, uh, goes through the reviewing process in general, even from the in Twitter, for example, or maybe archive. What's your thought about that and what solution do you think? If you can tell us about that. 
Yeah, it's a. I mean, it, it is a. It is a complicated and 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 big problem. And mm. I think so. The, the reviewer number two. It's almost a meme. Um, and I think the meme is is bigger than machine learning. I, all of science complains about their peer reviewers and so on. Um, what what I think is particularly bad in the field of machine learning is that right now this field is growing mm. or has grown in the last few years so rapidly that 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 there's just an imbalance of experienced reviewers and and incentives to do good review so a lot of people are flooding in uh there are not not only researchers but companies and 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 ngos they're mm. flooding in and everyone wants to publish 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 and reviewers they get more papers um they are less experienced now so yeah. we have stories of of you know master students being reviewers and no insult like there are very skilled master students but yeah. um the it's not the stories we know are not skilled master students but just random master students getting reviewer invitations yeah. because they're on they're on some list and you know that can be a one-off mistake but it it sort of it is a it is a problem for these conferences to get more reviewers so they reach out and in classic science if you think of maybe i, I don't know but the more classic fields let's say particle physics or something mm. like this the field is or was fairly small and people knew each other. Yeah. And even though the reviews were, let's say, double blind, at least the, the yeah. editor of a journal knows who the reviewers are. And there, there's a lot of esteem in writing good reviews. There's a lot of yeah. your name is, you know, writing this editor must think something good of you and you write a good review. And that was an important part of yeah. the research process. But now in machine learning, because everything is so fast, yeah. first of all, we don't publish in journals, so we publish in conferences because journals are too slow. It takes years to publish something in a journal because there are multiple rounds. You send it in, mm -hmm. you get your reviews, then you, you correct it, you send it in again, you get your review. That's too slow for machine learners. Machine learners want fast, so they submit it to a conference and there's just one round. Reviewers get your paper, they comment on it, mm -hmm. you get it back. And you have the chance for a rebuttal, but that almost never does anything. Yeah. So it's it's so fast. And the reviewers there, they don't have any incentive to do a good job. So they're, in fact, their incentive is, it's structured such that their incentive is to reject your paper um, as fast as possible. So mm -hmm. what, they're, what they're doing is they, they look through your paper mm -hmm. and they'll say something like, uh, you didn't test on this other data set that, you know, or you didn't perform this method, you didn't perform this test, you didn't compare to this method, mm. or so on. And and that's why, that's why I'm not convinced of your method or something like this. So that the, 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 the incentives are to reject um, and invest as little work as possible into your review. And because of this, the process of getting accepted at a conference is basically a coin flip. So we know that very good papers, they will, they will always get in or almost always. And very bad papers, 
they will almost always get rejected. But the 90% of papers that are between very good and very bad, it is just a random process with an acceptance rate of maybe 15%. Yeah. And because there are only, let's say, three or four big conferences a year, um, depending on your topic, as a PhD student, you're really in for a ride. You're really in for a, for a yeah. random ride because it, you know, you can get lucky at the first try, but it might take you four or five submissions to get your paper in. And it's not like you improve, you improve the paper after each time, but it, it doesn't matter because the next conference gives you a set of different reviewers that have different complaints. So the first reviewers might say, we don't like that you didn't compare to ImageNet data set. Mm -hmm. And then you do that. And then the second set of reviewers says, we don't like that you didn't compare to this other method from uh, this other paper. And then, okay, you do that. But the next set of reviewers, they all have, they all have different complaints. And so it's extremely random and that frustrates a lot of people. And so right now, I would say that it used to be very a good signal if a paper was accepted at a conference or at a journal. It used to be like, wow, this paper is published, right? That, that has a name to it that has a that is like it is published. Yeah. <laughs> but now there is almost no signal there. There is no real value that a published paper has to a non-published paper. So the whole thing is a bit of a, it's like a theater almost that we all play mm. and we still pretend that you need to get this stamp of published, yeah. but the process is so noisy that it has almost yeah. has lost most of its meaning. Well, so the, yeah. the, the question is, what is the solution? And there are, I would say there are fundamentally two directions you could go. Mm -hmm. So the first direction are people who you, you mentioned this problem of, you know, the famous people, they they probably bias the process. And so there are people who advocate for more, more of the more of the core things that are in peer review. So more anonymity. Mm -hmm. um, so that you are not even allowed to talk about your paper before you submit it to peer review. They're also talk, uh, talking about if you write a bad review, you should be somehow punished for that. So that because most of the review quality is very bad, people just write a few sentences and then send yeah. it off. Um, so they want to, there are a lot of people that advocate for things like more anonymity and, you know, punishing or assessing review quality somehow. And I think that is, this is my opinion. I, I think that is the wrong way because it goes against the core incentives that the people have. So the, these, the famous people, they have an incentive to let you know that they wrote a paper mm. uh, and they will do it. And I've I like that. It was a very popular video of mine of the vision transformer the, the paper was called an image is worth 16 by 16 patches or something like this mm -hmm. where this was a paper that wasn't publicly known who the author was and i was able to extremely easily show like clearly who the author is uh, even though it wasn't it was anonymous 
And um, I just, I just, and that wasn't even intentional. I don't think it was intentional by these people to make public who they are. Yeah. I'm just saying that you cannot go against the incentives of people. So my solution would be to be more open to if you have a paper, you put it on archive with your name and then let people comment on it. Yeah. Just comment. There is no published or not published. There is just comments and you respond to comments and maybe you update the paper in response to the comments. And it is much more of a a process where you update your work uh, mm. when comments come in or not, or you respond to comments and we just have a more open and, and collaborative field and we don't yeah. we don't seek this I am published or I'm not published and then mm. the good part is once we do this we can go we can make conferences again what they usually were for we can say we have a conference and this is a place where we get together as a community and talk about interesting things that's it that's yeah. a conference and <laughs> I would I would love to see conferences in that spirit again and and to see the research process be more open i don't know but system or i don't know why we don't just do what you mentioned and just do your research and let people judge about your work but the house system is is run for the amount of publication you have so that you can have this funding and why do you think maybe is the, the cause of the problem do you think why we everyone, as you mentioned, a good expression that we are in theater and we pretend that we don't know. Everyone know, but we just go with that and no one make action against it. Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and of course there are reasons why we are, let's say, stuck in this. It, it is it, the the fact that we are in the situation, and the situation um, is as it is. Is it's probably. A local optimum so it, it is some sort of an optimum it is some it serves some sort of purpose and the the one important purpose is that you have uh this 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 sort of publication process it is a signal as as i said before it it becomes less and less of a signal i i believe especially in machine learning now it is a very weak signal to be published somewhere but still it is a, a signal. And if you just had a bunch of paper on archive, that is, that is yeah. no signal, right? You can't go to a funding agency and the, or the, you know, you can't go to your government that funds research. Hmm. And these people that they might be scientists, but they are not experts in your field. So they, they have to have something to, to justify because they only have, they have one pot of money. And they need to decide who do I give this money to, yeah. and they need to have some sort of objective criteria because it, it would be, you know, it would be, it would be probably not good if we just say, well, just give the money to whoever you feel deserves it or something like yeah. this, because then, you know, in the in the in the in the best case, it would be quite random, and in the worst case, they would just give it to their friends, right? So it's. You need you need this some this this signaling, and I think the the whole process of peer review and publication is in place because ultimately it does provide a a, a just a signal. You see, you have this many citations, you have this many published papers, uh, so I can directly this is a number. 
It is imperfect, but it is a number where I can compare you to someone else and uh, allocate funding because of that. So mm -hmm. it serves a purpose. And our goal should be, if we want to, you know, change something about this, should be to to propose a system that also provides these kind of metrics, these these signals. And if we do a good job, maybe we can even come up with something that gives mm -hmm. a better signal than publication. And mm -hmm. I've been I've been advocating for um, something like PageRank. Before we had PageRank search engines, they were pretty pretty bad yeah. uh, because they would you know they would do their reverse indexing, but then you'd have maybe some even counted the number of links that went to a page, and that was somehow. But you know, if I have a website and I know the search engine ranks it by the number of links that go to it, I can just make a hundred other websites and link to it, and then it will be ranked up. People did all of these tricks yeah. uh, at the beginning of search engines. And then PageRank sort of came along and, and, and said, here is a signal, the, the PageRank uh, score, that honestly reflects some kind, of, some kind of interest, some kind of quality marker of a website. And of course, they had to tune it as well. Mm -hmm. But I think we can come up with something like you put a paper on archive and then other people start to cite it, right? Start mm -hmm. to reference it. And if we apply maybe something like the PageRank algorithm to scientific citations, we can come up with a, a better signal of how to, let's say, allocate funding or who to hire as a professor. Yeah. And in fact, I have some some I have in mind a sort of parameterized system. So let's say you as a scientist, you have your bunch of papers and from those you compute not only one metric because right now we have something like the H index or so on. Okay. You compute a number of metrics. So one metric could just be how many papers do you have on archive? Mm -hmm. But then another metric could be what is the page rank scores of these papers? And then another metric could be mm. how many people are on average on your papers. So how many authors on the other metric could be from how many different institutions are these authors on average. So mm. now when a university goes and hires someone, some new professor, the university can say, we are a university that values uh, teamwork. Mm. So we are looking, we are setting our parameters and look for someone who is really into interdisciplinary, inter, mm. uh, in, you know, intergroup collaboration. And another university can say, no, we are looking for, for rock stars. We want the, the person that has single author papers that get like lots of citations and so on. So I, I think we can, if we want to change the system, we have to replace it with something that gives these kinds of metrics um, that are right now covered by the the publication uh, approval process. I think this is really brilliant point. I uh, because I think we discussed that even in academia. What is because, for example, I I'm, I had a position in my home country, but it's based on it's completely different from the West. So, but we speak here about maybe in US and Europe. So, the criteria to be a faculty position, um, I think, based on publication slowly and citation and. Mm -hmm. 
And that's even in my home country, it based on grades. When you have like you are top student, I was top student, and yet and this is bullshit for me to be honest. And <laughs> it's the same, yeah. But, but there, there is nothing better right now. Yeah, right? there's nothing so, so better. It's, exactly. It's, it's, it's the only number you have. And, exactly, and, exactly. You know, you can't yeah. you can't really be mad at people that need to do something and, and they just we yeah. only have this number right now. So, yeah. so you know. Yeah, you're, and I think that's something uh, how you can really make a, a, a fair judgment how you hire someone who is really credible for position. Because you look, I think you said it really brilliantly, but I don't know why people do listen to that. Or maybe why they maintain just knowing that, but I hope there is a change about that. And do you think about how do you see the future of education or maybe academia? Because I think that's something I, almost everyone who's passionate about maybe like you doing videos or doing podcasts or doing blogs, they mentioned that, and I can see you, you have a lot of views more than the paper itself. And maybe the paper is like um, under the locks and no one know about it. And when they, you, you do this video about this paper, it gets a lot of popularity because of you. Uh, maybe you don't like to change that, but that's the reality. And I know some people say, oh, he's doing just video. I know, but you are, I know you're intelligent and, and that's take a lot of skill. No one can do that easily. But when you see that you have this a lot of view and you get a lot of maybe um, uh, popularity uh, because you really genuinely care about uh, reaching this research to different people but how do you see when you see this paper under this publishing uh, looks and you have to pay a certain amount of money to or maybe have an access to this journal and you have this a lot of views and people are engaging with you do you think oh why I have to go all this process in academia and I can I can do a lot of interesting work like uh, I, I'm sure you have a lot of inspiration, and that's something we can uh, sh uh, discuss later. But when you have these views about the paper itself, uh, views for the video, which I think more than the paper itself, do you think that's something game-changing for the future of education, that we don't need this amount of tuition fees, because there are a lot of people who can afford that? Do you think that something will fall? Because now you have this YouTube videos, what you're doing, and the podcasting, and blogging, which gain a lot of popularity and have a lot of views more than the process itself. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you raise it. I mean, you, this is it's extremely interesting the the topic you're you're tapping into it. It's sort of this whole and that's just that's definitely not just me. I mean, the the whole Internet space with yeah. first blogs and then things like YouTube and 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 podcasts and so on it has made knowledge and education just so much more accessible i think there are people right now in this world they they don't have access to clean drinking water but they do mm -hmm. have an old smartphone that they got from somewhere and they can mm -hmm. you know get some some wi-fi somewhere and they can go to wikipedia and 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 look up stuff and and that it just enables so many more people to educate themselves and make you know make their lives better and it is true it is true that we probably you probably don't need that much anymore these sort of classic models where you go to university mm -hmm. especially a university that costs a lot of money uh for 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 gaining knowledge the yeah. problem again is when you go to university and you finish that. Um, first of all, it's it's still a great thing for a lot of things because you. It's not just lectures. You get 
you know, you get in person, you get a TAs, you, you, you have to hand in stuff, uh, you get personal feedback and so on. You get the community of this people who do the same thing and you see them every day and so on. There's lots of lots of things that still happen at university that you probably can't get by just looking at YouTube videos. But the most the most valuable thing almost is that at the end you have a degree, right? Again, it's it's the signal. Mm. You have a piece of paper that says you have mm. done this. Yeah. And you know, if if this if the piece of paper comes from the right sort of institutions like a university, then a future employer, they they don't know you and they don't know your field. They yeah. they want to hire let's say they want to hire a software engineer, but they are a, they're a business person. They're a CEO of a small company um, and they need something to go on. They need, you know, to see, okay, I don't know anything about software engineering. I, I, this, I, they, they are not impressed when they look at your GitHub profile because they don't know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. and they, so they see computer science degree from a university or they see software engineering, trade school, something like this. They have to have something to, to go by. And I think that's still, that is a, going to be a hard thing to replace. Mm. Uh, this, this sort of, if you have a degree from Stanford or Harvard, uh, it's going to take many, many years of YouTube and online education before people yeah. think that that's not as valuable anymore. Yeah, I think that's excellent point. Well, I, I think um, maybe there will be change happening because, yeah, I think what we, we do, I think the, the game is changing. Yeah, even everyone is thinking about uh, have a talent and, and doing that, I think is a game changer, definitely. So I'm curious yes, to ask you, yeah, so go ahead. Sorry, go there, ahead. There, yeah, there, there are also, I mean, there are worrying developments. I, for example, see... A lot of a lot of people are trying to build online universities and things like this, which of course you, you can do for a much lower cost. So you can you can educate more people via the internet and so on. But that also gives rise to a lot of a um, lot of scams. A lot of people who, who promise to make you, mm. especially in machine learning, who promise to make you a, a deep learning expert in six months, no coding required, like yeah. no coding skills required to start. You just pay whatever money and yeah. and and it's it's not you know it's it's not what they they promise so there's also a lot of you know a lot of shady stuff happening in the field but yeah. you know we'll have to sort that out yeah i think that for example we have this happened of example i think Saraj, i think that's a very well known uh, institute so yeah and i i really appreciate what you do for example being open for everyone and you have a patreon option if you want support and i think that's uh, maybe a, a good way that you can support uh, who deserve uh, to be supported. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 I, I've resisted it for a long time I because know. I, yeah. <laughs> I thought, nah, nah. Um, but people have insisted on giving yeah. me money. So the money I get, I try to, I try to find ways to let it you know, flow back into, into some of, of this thing I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's admirable, yeah. So I'm curious, uh, we are closing then because I, I know there are a lot of questions, but because of the time, what is your aspiration? You don't want to be in academia, but I feel you have this intuition that you still want to teach, you still love research. 
And there's a lot of misconception because I think when people think, oh, you are going to leave academia. And even tenured professors sometimes leave academia. And that's found like you're not scientist. And even when you do pop science, when we look to Carl Sagan, for example, or Neil deGrasse Tyson, some people just say they are not scientists, but reality, they are really intelligent and they ask really fundamental questions. So how do you see this like misconceptions that sometimes because you want to leave academia, but you still have all the qualities as a researcher? What is your aspiration? Do you think that I have to make something completely beyond academia? Since you have this video now, you maybe have sort of ideas how you, you want to make something uh, out of that in the future, because truly enjoy it. But what's your aspiration when you think about it? What I want to do, what I want to achieve, what I expecting out of that like? Coming years. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I am. I'm definitely. I'm definitely afraid that I will sort of be more and more. Let's say I I go to industry or something like this. Mm -hmm. uh, that I'll be more and more out of the loop of academia because it's. I'm not doing that every day, all day. Yeah. And um. So, so that. But that's a a problem for the future. For now, I I think I'll just I'll continue making videos as I like and you know if people want to watch it then yes and if people don't want to watch it mm. then that's that's fine too I I'm not going to be to be sad about that mm -hmm. but you don't have something like because you're afraid to go to industry and I'm have the same also fears for myself because I wanted to to do something completely new like and, and you something merge what you do with science and research do you still think about that or you don't have a clear yeah, idea yeah it's it's a uh... I have no, I have no idea or or or, or big aspirations yeah. beyond. I mean, this is already this is already completely uh, more than I expected. Yeah. Uh, of the of what the interest in, especially the way I do videos, because I I see someone like um, you know, for example, the two minute papers channel, which yeah. which is you know, an excellent channel, but there is. These videos, they are clear. They are, you know, mm. snappy, edited. They are the what 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 the text is rehearsed yeah. and scripted, and and they're good videos, right? And they're interesting, yeah. and and they grab your attention. And I I just I just sit down and explain things. So I I'm it's already past what I ever thought would interest people. Mm -hmm. So I'm I I think I've already reached this aspiration. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So closing and have a few questions. Uh, do you think ego is important for the researcher? Ego, yes, probably. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's a thing that you can that you can have too much yeah. of or too little of, right? It, there's probably a good a good amount of ego that you need. I I there are definitely examples of researchers who have too much, but. Yeah. There are also a lot of people who could who could benefit from just having a bit more a bit more ego, selling yourself a bit better um, yeah. when you when you talk to people. I think with with respect to ego, and I'm I'm not a I'm not a I'm I'm doing this probably wrong myself, but it it is probably better to have a bit too much than a bit too little, just yeah. for you know how much success you have in general. Yeah. yeah. That's great, yeah. And which book inspired you? Um, it is a that is a, that is a good question. Um, a book I I for some reason I like the book Zero to One by mm -hmm. um by 
Who is it? Peter Thiel and Blake. I, I can't remember the name, but it is, it is a book that I just enjoyed reading or listening to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. Okay. And what is the most important quality you have gained? I think now there's two types of the question. In academia, in the video doing, most important quality you have gained and you have to maintain. Um, so in academia, I think the, the important, the most important quality I've gained or thing I've learned is maybe the, the knowledge that we, we still, I still, I still don't know a lot of things. Yeah. So you, you get, you know, this, this, this famous curve of, of where all of a sudden you think, you know, so many things. And mm -hmm. that's usually, I feel that's with people during their university maybe during their master's degree towards the end you feel like wow i have such a good overview of the field and so on but then you know and in the phd you discover no actually you probably don't know too much yeah, yeah. and in the video in the video making i am i am i was just surprised by how positive the space is mm -hmm. uh, i've i've been on the internet for a while and i know that the internet has some fun corners and some not so fun corners yeah. and i've been just positively surprised by how how positive people are how helpful and and constructive also that's interesting yeah and lastly what was the best advice was given to you was a person or professionally and was a life-changing Huh. That is a very, a very good question. Um, maybe <laughs> I, I don't, I don't remember a particular advice professionally, yeah. but I have, I have read something in a poker forum once mm -hmm. and, um, and, and there was people in, when they play online poker, yeah often they some people get the feeling that life is just against them and they they're always unlucky yeah. and you know every time it's like oh but, but i was in this situation i did everything right but then i got unlucky and unlucky and unlucky yeah. and that that can happen actually like some people just get continuously unlucky and this person just wrote this giant blog post about how life is against them and how everything's unlucky for them and everything works against them yeah and 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 then one of the most famous people of that of the poker world in in that forum yeah. um just just it, so it was a lot of users but one of the most famous people just commented with with one line yeah and the comment said skill is greater so that greater science skill is greater than destiny oh. and and that just Im impressed me and it it sort of says that you know just if you just keep doing what you think is good uh, or right yeah. then uh you can't be like don't let any bad luck dissuade you from doing what you think is good or right that's really brilliant and profound i think that's even our life that you try to think what the right thing and it's challenging to be honest that you figure out what skill needed to get out what you think is right I think that's yes, really and, yeah. brilliant. Maybe in academia, it's it's this. <laughs> even if you get six rejections in a row, you know, yeah. try to try to improve your paper. Try to you know make it such that it gets accepted with the highest probability. But just 
don't don't let yourself be be, be brought down by yeah. this yeah that's really important resilience and don't give up so thanks a lot Yannick. it was really enjoyable and thoughtful and keep up the amazing work you do for your videos and yeah thanks same a lot. for me and you you keep up the podcast thank you